0: When you um, see somebody in a funeral home or at a funeral service, sometimes um, you hear something like this. You haven't seen somebody in a long while and you might say, it's good to see you. I'm sorry it's under these circumstances. And there's places that probably would come to mind as happier places to go than to a memorial or a funeral service. A birthday party is pretty fun, isn't it? A wedding, a parade, a, a baby shower. Well, I take that back. Baby showers are not that much fun, but there's 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 places that are that are fun to go. But the wise man Solomon said something very interesting in the seventh chapter of Ecclesiastes. He said in Ecclesiastes seven, verse two, it is better to go to the house of mourning, than to go to the house of house of feasting. Amen. That's a remarkable assertion to make. But by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, yes, Brother Steve, amen. There's something that is better about going to a place where you can have a good cry for a good reason than just going to a place where you can paper, all the, paper over all the heartaches and turmoils of life with a little bit of overly sweetened icing. It's better to go to the house of mourning or sadness or grief or weeping because, he says, for that is the end of all men and the living will lay it to his heart. Did that happen with you yesterday? Those of you who are able to come and attend that memorial service, did you lay it to heart? Did it make an impact on you? Did it make you not only look back with with tears of joy at special sweet memories from Brother Pat's life and how it touched your life, maybe some tears of sadness for some of his struggles and heartaches, but also some reflection, some realization of how short life really is, some realization about the choices we make do make a difference, some realization about how they said to George Bailey in the movie, It's a Wonderful Life, how one life can affect so many others in good ways and in painful ways. Those are important things for us to realize. And the sooner we realize that in our lives, the better we, the better prepared we can be to really make our lives count by God's grace and strength and help to live a life that we can look back on not with a sense of just accomplishment and perfection that we dotted all the i's and crossed all the t's. That'll never happen, my friend. I'm I'm sorry to let you know you're gonna you're gonna have some disappointments and heartaches by the time you get to the end of your life. You're gonna have some regrets. But to look back at least with a sense of satisfaction, a sense of contentment, a sense of the blessing of God, whether our life be short or long, to be able to say with the Apostle Paul, when we know our time draws near, I have fought a good fight. I've done what God called me to do to the best of my ability. I've tried and God's been with me to make up all the gaps, to, to make up the difference in where I fell short. That's what would make my life meaningful. That's what would give me a sense of satisfaction. I hope and pray at the end of my life and you as well. Let's keep reading here. A couple more verses. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. And that's the issue, isn't it? The sorrow can get down into our heart in a way that laughter just can't. I talked about briefly yesterday about um, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. There's a saying uh, that's common in our, our culture that laughter is the best medicine. There's a lot of good that can come from laughter. It's even been medically proven. But you know there's a lot of good that can come from crying too. There's some things that it seems some ways the heart can be touched only through tears, only through grief. And we need that. I need that. You need that. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, while the heart of the fools is in the house of mirth. So let's spend a few minutes this morning in the house of mourning, in the house of grief, but also, well, let's turn to Psalm 30. We'll see it doesn't stay there. Psalm 30, I will extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up and hast not made my foes to rejoice over me, So he's saying, Lord, I praise you. You've given me some victory, some deliverance. O Lord, my God, I cried unto thee and thou hast healed me. O Lord, thou hast brought up my soul from the grave. Thou hast kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. David had been close to the point of death many times. And he says, Lord, you've preserved me to this point in my life. Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. For his anger endureth but a moment in his favor is life. Now listen to this. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. So you got two words that sound the same, but one of them has a U in it. You go from morning where you're crying to the morning of joy and blessedness. He says later in the Psalm verse Ten, Hear, O Lord, and have mercy upon me. Lord, be Thou my helper. Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. Thou hast put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. To the end, the, the wise man Solomon told us in Ecclesiastes that there was an end, a purpose, a reason for which it's better to go to the house of mourning. And here David tells us the same thing. He said, you've, you've brought me through the crucible of grief and mourning and sadness and heartache and brokenness To the place of joy and dancing and the brightness of the morning sun. And you've done that for this purpose. To the end that my glory may sing praise unto thee and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks unto thee forever. He says it's to the end that my glory may sing praise to thee, to God. In other words, the things that are worthwhile in our life, those those things that do give us a sense of satisfaction, our accomplishments, our glory, it may be the beauty of youth, it may be the strength of youth, it may be the fruit of hard uh, years of hard work and labor and dedication and devotion. It may be some great puzzle unraveled, some mystery of the universe solved, whatever and we accomplish in our lives that, that, that feels like it's been worth something. He says, This transformation from grief to joy is so that I can look heavenward and say, Lord, this was all you. You were the one at work in my life. My glory sings praise to him. It blesses and honors his name. Now, I want to talk to you this morning about three three words. Three words that will point us to a great hope and help enable us to have our glories, our, our whatever little fragments, our little loaves and fishes, if you will, to just go and put them in the hands of the Lord and say, Lord, here, these are all yours. They were yours to start with. The three words are prepared, reserved, and preserved. Let's look at John chapter 14. Jesus says to his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. Our hearts want to get troubled sometimes, don't they? But God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And I was talking to a dear brother just, just recently that uh, talked about how that verse spoke to him and gave him just the comfort he needed. He said, because my mind was filled with fear. My mind was filled with uncertainty. My mind was filled with doubting. And it was reassuring to see the word of God tell me in black and white that didn't come from God. God is not the one that's stirring you up to confusion. God is not the one that's leading you to doubt his word. God is not the one that's causing you to be overwhelmed with fears and doubts and tremblings. Let not your heart be troubled. He calls upon us to call upon our own heart, which is another excellent reason to read the Psalms of David because David does that all the time, doesn't he? He speaks to himself like this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. He's speaking to himself. And the New Testament tells us that as well. In Ephesians, he tells us that a part of being filled with the Spirit is speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. It's interesting. He says, he says it goes two different directions. In that one verse, he says we're speaking to ourselves, which is each other and our own self individually. But then he also says we're singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord. So it's an act of worship when we sing from the heart words that are true and meaningful, but it's also an act of instruction. It's an act of teaching each other. A little child can teach the oldest saint simply by singing the songs of Zion or reciting the words of God's holy scripture. And we can teach ourselves. We can do like David did on that occasion when it seemed all was lost. When the Amalekites had sacked his city and taken his family and taken the wives of his men. And, he, and, and his own men turned against him. And at the end of his rope, David threw in the towel and said, I give up. I'm going home. No, that's not what happened. Come on, you Bible readers. Help me out. David encouraged himself in the Lord. And that's what we're called upon to do. To teach ourselves. To let not my heart be troubled and here's how we do that jesus says you believe in god believe also in me you have a a a concept of the almighty you acknowledge that there's a god who's in control of the universe and you know even the deists of old time would would acknowledge that there was some higher power up there but they got themselves in the position where they thought you know, God is like the absentee clockmaker that wound up the whole universe and then went on vacation for several thousand years. And we're just here watching the, the, the thing wind down. That's not the kind of God we serve, my friends. You think you have a concept of God, but Jesus said, he sent me so that you would be able to look God in the face. If you've seen me, he says, you've seen my father. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house, are many mansions. That's a pretty big house. It's not a mansion with many rooms. It's a house with many mansions inside of it. In my father's house are many mansions. And I love the tenderness of Jesus' words here, the, the the, the gentle instructiveness of his words. He says, if it were not so, I would have told you. Do you hear what he's saying there? He's not just saying, I'm telling you this because it's so, but he loves you so much that if you're going to think something wrong, He's going to correct that. He's going to give you the truth in his word to say, no, no, that's not what you're misunderstanding. Here's what it is. If it weren't like this, he said, I would have set you straight. So it is like this. There are in the heavenly father's house, many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And by the way, I'm going, he says, to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am there, ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Well, he's given us all these words of assurance. But then Thomas expresses what's on our hearts some of the time. He says, Lord, wait, you said we know this already, but we know not whither thou goest. And how can we know the way? And here's the answer that Thomas's own heart was already telling him, and he just wasn't listening. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So it's all wrapped up in knowing Jesus. And we don't know him by our own effort and self discipline. We know him by the gift of supernatural revelation. He reveals himself, 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 says, like, the, like the, in the creation of the universe, the light shining forth out of darkness, so God has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He says, Christ is in you, the hope of glory. By the Holy Spirit of God, Christ spiritually indwells each one of his little children. And he says, I know you. And just like those sheep, he said, they know my voice. You know the voice of God of the Savior, dear child of God. And he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Now, some have quibbled with this passage and said, well, didn't Jesus in Matthew chapter 25 say there was a place prepared for his children from before the foundation of the world? Why would Jesus go at the end of his ministry to prepare a place for them? Well, I'm thankful to be blessed to be married to a a wife who knows the art of good southern hospitality, just like you sisters here, and you, brothers. I've never seen a bachelor with as many towels and sheets as Brother Stephen Boyd has available at his house. The, um, the, 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 the gift of Southern hospitality, where, where you, you get things ready because you know somebody's coming over, but then when, you, when it's just about time for them to come over, you hurry back home and you pull down the corner of the bed sheet, don't you? Maybe you put a little chocolate mint on the pillow. Now, Brother Stephen Boyd was too tired to do any of this for me last night, but. <laughs> I promise you, I'm not holding it against him too too much. Um, he, he instead he showed me where the sheets were. He said, "Brother Andrew," he said, "Brother Andrew, I'll change the sheets for you." I said, "I don't even understand this whole thing about changing sheets, but if you'll if you'll just go to bed, Brother Stephen, I'll take care of that myself." So so he uh, he let me. But you know, other than a few isolated examples, a, a, a good hospitable housekeeper is going to to do that extra little bit to just make it perfectly ready. For the guest who's now welcomed in. And friends, our Lord's, by His own lips, by His own testimony, our Lord's return to heaven was to get everything just finished and ready for you and me, for His undeserving little redeemed children to be welcomed into His arms everlastingly. I go to prepare a place. Romans chapter 9 tells us that not only... Has Christ gone to prepare a place? And as I quoted also from Matthew 25, a place originally prepared from before the foundation of the world. But Romans chapter 9 tells us that God is also in the business of preparing you for that place. Romans 9, a great uh, dichotomy between the vessels unto wrath and the vessels unto glory. And there's so much richness and beauty in this passage I'd love to dwell on today. But for time's sake, I'll just come right on down to verse 22 or verse 21, where he says, Hath not the power, the potter power over the clay, over the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? Doesn't the potter have the right to do that? Sure he does. Now there are clues linguistically in this passage That God is not in the business of just actively deforming things that were otherwise going to be good. There are clues in the language of this passage that there's not a strict parallelism between the elect and the the non-elect. That there's actually a self-destruction, a uh, self-preparation unto destruction that we by nature would engage in were it not for God's grace. But I want you to see the hand of God's mercy here. He first says in verse 22, What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? The tense of that verb, fitted, indicates that the, ra- the vessel actually is helping fit itself for destruction. That's us by human nature. But by mercy and grace, he says in verse 23, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory, even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. He said, You were a people who didn't have a, an identity, you didn't have a scrap of worth to your name. You were, you were just bent on self-destruction and rebellion against God. And I pulled you out of the teeming mass of fallen humanity and I prepared you. I began to do something special and profound and everlasting in you and for you. As Philippians 1.6 says, Paul to the Philippian church, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that this morning, my friends? Do you believe God never gives up on his children? I absolutely believe that. I'm sort of like Brother Van Solick when he was, when he was, I think he still does, can't help himself but talk about the Lord everywhere he goes. And, um, and one of his uh, coworkers, I think it was, questioned him and said, you don't believe in like all that Bible stuff. And he said, well, sure I do. Sure I do. That's what I'm trying to tell you. And he said, you don't believe in miracles, do you? And Van said, believe in them? I depend on them. well friends that's about where I'm at in my experience I depend on the mercies of God I know that without his mercies which are new every morning great is his faithfulness without his ongoing work of preparation in my heart and soul and life I would be a lost cause as the hymn writer said without free grace I know I'm lost but by God's mercy and grace I am what I am 1 Corinthians chapter 2 he tells us not only has He gone to prepare a place, not only is He preparing and has He prepared a people for that place, but He says in First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, As it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. In other words, you can't even fathom the amazingness of eternity in the presence of Christ. Paul was caught up to the third heavens. He saw things not lawful to be uttered. But here, as he's writing this by inspiration of the Spirit, he said nobody has, nobody has seen and, and, and heard and explained and described. It's like Queen, uh, the Queen of Sheba when she uh, came to visit Solomon and she said the half has not been told of the glory of Solomon's wisdom and the, 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 the glamour and glitter of his court. Well, that's just a faint comparison to the glory that awaits the child of God in eternity. Eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, neither has entered into the heart of man. We can't even grasp or think about or dream big enough to imagine how wonderful it really is. There's nobody that's going to get to heaven and say, hmm, that's about like I expected. We're all going to get to heaven and we're going to be shocked, I think, by at least three things. We're going to be shocked by some who we thought were going to be there and it turns out they're not. We're going to be shocked by some we thought were not going to be there, and it turns out they are. And friends, if God has given us by His grace a shred of humility, which I trust He has, we're going to be shocked that we're there. Wow, Lord. I knew it was true. I trusted You with all my heart, but I still knew I didn't deserve it. And yet here I am. It really hadn't entered into my heart fully and completely to know the things which You've prepared for those who love You. And of course, we only love Him because He first loved us. Let's turn to one last passage in 1 Peter chapter 1. We've looked at this word prepared. God's prepared a place, and He's prepared a people for that place, and He's prepared unspeakable things in that place of everlasting glory. In Peter 1 Peter chapter 1, this apostle writes in verse 2 elect to he's writing to his audience, he says, You are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. That foreknowledge means God loved his people beforehand. The elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit. Sanctification means he made you very special. And unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. I love these little almost accidental proof texts for the Trinity and i can't help but comment on them every time i pass by them this isn't a text that spells out we believe in the father the son and the holy ghost but it's a text that as the holy spirit inspires it mentions the father the son and the holy ghost in one passage and says that the whole triune person of god is engaged in the work of the salvation of his people he says in the name of the father and the son and the holy ghost grace be unto you and peace be multiplied blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again. That's the same phrase that Jesus used in the third chapter of John's account of the gospel, where he's talking to Nicodemus, and he says, except you be born again. And now here Peter is saying, blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because he has borned us again. He hath begotten us again unto a lively or a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. He's, got a, he's prepared a place, but friends, you know, there's a fine fancy hotel up there in New York, another fine fancy hotel in Philadelphia or DC. But if I walk in there without a reservation, the fact that it's prepared isn't going to help me much. It's prepared and it's got a reservation. It's got a reservation in the name of every one of God's children. He says it's reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God. He's reserved the room for you and he's preserving you for that appointment. Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Friends, I hope it comforts and strengthens and inspires your soul to more dedicated obedience, to come to the house of mourning, to cry a few tears and look deep down in your soul, and then to see the sweet comfort of God's word, that he's prepared a place for you, he's preparing you for that place, he's reserved a place for you, and he is preserving you to arrive safely into the arms of Jesus. God bless you. We're glad you've been able to listen to this podcast. We invite you to come and worship with us on a Sunday morning. Our services begin with hymn singing at 1030 a.m. Mount Carmel Primitive Baptist Church is located at 1707 Churchville Road in Bel Air, Maryland. If you've enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast application.